Well, everybody, I'm Ken Eastman, Dean of the Spears School of Business. On this podcast, Alexis Hightower, and I sit down with a variety of business professionals to talk about all things business. Whether this is your lunch, study break, walk to class, or on your drive to work, we're happy to have you listening. Welcome to We Call the Buzz on Business. Alexis, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you today? Why don't you introduce our guest? All right, perfect. So today we have Nate McCullough. He is the Director of Strategic Sales at Stryker. Nate, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Yes. How are you today? Doing wonderful. A little cold outside, but uh, other than that, it's warm in here, so thanks for turning the heat on. We're great. Oh, of course. <laughs> we spared no expense for you, Nate. Uh, we knew you were coming, jacked up the heat, right? Okay, perfect. So when was the last time you were on campus? It was actually last football season, and so I came up to see some friends. And you went to OSU? I did. Graduated in 01. Oh, a pup. I know. You know? <laughs> some of us who have been here a while, 01, I uh, very remember back that far. Why don't you just start off talking a little bit about what Stryker is and, and what you do? Absolutely. So uh, Stryker is a medical device company um, based in Kalamazoo, fi- founded by a doctor, Homer Stryker. Um, been in business for oh, several decades now. Um, it's kind of grown to a Fortune, uh, Fortune 300 company. We do around $16 billion a year in sales, and we're mainly focused in surgical spaces. Um, a lot of people ac- actually know us more from what they see from a patient side, which would be like beds and stretchers in a hospital or, you know, stretchers out of an ambulance, something along those lines. So, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people, since it's not a consumer products company, right, have no idea how big it is, what it, right? Correct. Like we, um, for the longest time, I've been here almost 20 years, and I would say for the longest time, you would say company striker, and not many people knew who that was. We are starting to get to that point where we're a little more known, but definitely not a consumer company. Most of our stuff uh, you never see because you're asleep under anesthesia <laughs> at the time. And so, um, so anyways, and obviously we try to stay out of the news unless it's really good stuff. And so, yeah, so no, a um, little under the radar, but inside healthcare, I think we're, we're known as a very formidable uh, company that brings, you know, great solutions to our customers. A striker sounds like a paramilitary organization, right? What a great last name. I mean, it's <laughs> hey. like, it's, I love it. And I was a former soccer player and everybody wanted to play striker and up front and go score goals. So That's right. it just made sense for me to work there. So, yeah. Now, what does your role consist of? Like, what do you do as the director? I run strategic sales for our neurosurgical business unit. So we tend to focus on uh, ultrasonic aspiration. So removing, removing tumors, typically in the neuro and spine space. Um, we also have high speed drills to gain access to like critical structures. So if you need to gain access to the brain, like our equipment will, you know, remove part of the skull to, to make that happen. And then we can get in and remove the tumors, et cetera. And then we have some other products that are used in those procedures as well. That business unit, I run strategic sales for it. And we tend to be focused on all of our national contracting, our pricing strategies, and then looking for creative ways to interconnect the different parts of Striker with one another so we can bring better solutions uh, to our customers. So instead of looking and being hyper-specialized just in neuro and in our products, like how do we bring a, a bigger, broader solution to our customer base? And so Strat Sales tends to, to focus on those different areas. How did you come to work at Striker? Uh, honestly, a recruiter misread my resume. <laughs> 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 Um, so, uh, that was back when monster.com was like the way to get connected with jobs and with companies. Um, and when I was in college, my resume was on monster.com and I had taken my first job out of college was with the distributor in Dallas called Republic Beverage. 
and they recruited here on campus and uh, took a job with him, moved down there. And then a different recruiter was on monster.com um, and called me about a job with Stryker only to tell me that I was uh, underqualified for the job he was calling me about because he misread my resume <laughs> from Monster. And so we got a good laugh. I was like, this is the first time somebody's called me out of the blue to tell me I'm underqualified for something. So <laughs> I appreciate um, the lesson in humility. Um, and we got a good laugh out of it. And one thing led to another. And we started talking about Striker, and I was just enamored with what they were doing and what the culture seemed to be about. And, and I just asked the question, I was like, well, how do I find you know, a job that I am qualified for with Stryker and let's go talk about that. And one thing led to another and uh, here I am. Wow. So you jumped from beverages to uh, medical sales. <laughs> Correct. It was a big jump. Because so I was wondering, you know, a company out of Kalamazoo, Michigan typically doesn't recruit here on campus. That's what I was curious about. Uh, Correct. And, uh, and it's interesting while I'm on campus today, I'm going to try to meet with, I have meetings scheduled with a few other people and just want to try to bring a little more awareness about Stryker to OSU's campus. And so I think um, we have great people in Oklahoma, great people at OSU, and I feel like we're a great organization. We might as well connect the two a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. And I know a lot of students are interested in medical sales, so I think that is a great thing to get a part of and get onto campus and everything. And you haven't always been in the neurosurgical side. Correct. I've, I've bounced around a little bit. Okay, so what roles have you held since your beginning? Yeah, great question. So when I first started 20 years ago, I was in uh, marketing. And so that was kind of our crash course to get into the business. We kind of called it our on-the-job MBA. And so you got to see all aspects of the business from obviously the marketing side to product development, to regulatory, to HR. And then we were that conduit from all of that to sales. And so at the end of the day, the sales force, those are the guys and girls that are in surgery every day, close to the surgeons, close to the patients. And our job in marketing was to make sure that they had access to anything they needed access to, to make sure that that case went exceptionally well. And when we weren't in the Kalamazoo office, we would travel. I would say those two years I was in marketing, I was in hotels about 120 nights a year. And you would actually go help run procedures, teach reps how to use products, teach surgeons how to use it. And, um, and then when you were in Kalamazoo, you had that total corporation exposure, which was really cool. Um, did that. And that was for instruments, which we did everything from large bone power. So if you have a total knee replacement, you would use our drills and saws, um, to help replace your knee or your hip. And Part of my shudder yeah. when he talked about bones and saws. All right, I'm getting old well, enough now. That hey, the, the anesthesia is really good. You don't feel it. So, um, Thank heavens. Yep. So it's wonderful. Um, so I got some experience there in orthopedics. We also did oral maxifacial type stuff. We actually were one of the prominent companies in dental drills for a long time. So I got a little experience there. And then um, the my next role I took was sales, and I sold each of those products in Chicago for about four years. And then I moved over to our spine implant business where um, I was fortunate enough to work with a team of uh, sales reps there where we focused on spine correction, you know, deformity cases, everything from um, adult deformity to pediatric deformity, which anytime kids are involved, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, but when you have products that can go, you know, address those, you know, issues and find correction and healing, it's, it's really special. So I got to do that for three years. And then I started my Strat sales career in January of 11 our image guided surgery division, um, which was called navigation or advanced guidance technology. Basically it's like, um, uh, navigation in your car, but for the body. So if you have a tumor in the head, uh, there's obviously sensitive subjects or sensitive, uh, material in your head, your brain, your nerves, et cetera. So we make sure we stay away from critical structures 
and we get you right to the tumor where you're supposed to go. So that's what navigation does. They needed a strategic sales department. So um, with my experience, they asked me to come in and figure it out. So, hey, it's a blank slate. Go figure out what strategic sales means and then go from there. And so I did that for them for a while. And then also spent a year in our ENT side of the business. And then uh, came back to neurosurgical um, two and a half years ago to lead this team. Wow. So did you actually train people how to use uh, devices? Uh, yeah. And so um, my timing when I got in a med device, you know, a lot of this technology, your physicians have visibility to and a little bit of a general understanding. And you just, you need to educate them on the nuance of your technology. And so, and we need to be educated on procedures and workflow and what they're trying to accomplish. And so we ask those questions just to make sure that we're aligned. At the end of the day, obviously the, the, the surgeon knows what they're doing. We're just trying to give them a complimentary technology that maybe helps them do what they're doing um, a little bit more efficiently, um, maybe a little bit safer. And, uh, and just give them better tools to be better at their jobs. They're gifted, and let's just give them some really cool technology to work with. So how many surgeries have you observed? Oh, I can't put a number on that. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's well into probably the, the thousands, maybe wow. tens of thousands. It's been a lot. So aside from like the neurosurgical side, what are the other divisions that Stryker has? So we have several different divisions that are focused on like neurosurgery and everything from incision to closure. So... Um, we can go in and open up, you know, soft tissue, open up, uh, you know, the brain. And then we have a division that also focuses on closing it and making sure that, you know, everything is going to heal properly after the procedure. And you just kind of work your way down. We're going to have uh, groups that focus on uh, spine procedures. We also mentioned orthopedics, knees and hips, um, foot and ankle. Um, we kind of do the full gamut. And then, um, uh, oral maxifacial is another popular one as well. Plastics, you know, anytime you have facial injuries, et cetera, we can treat those um, and work with customers there. Um, we have a sage group that will do everything from like uh, selling. Um, I think uh, Alexis is a little familiar with them as well, where you're going to be selling uh, things into the the patient's uh, setting side, like uh, toothbrushes, things along those lines. And then our medical division, which will sell the beds, the beds into those facilities. And then our EMT side or EMS side, where we'll partner with fire departments, first responders, for stretchers. We have a really cool product out there that's, uh, that's for CPR. It's called Lucas. It, it does like automatic compressions. So it can allow a, um, an EMS to actually focus on the patient versus doing compressions. So that, that product will do that while they can give extra attention to whoever's in the ambulance with them and focus on the patient. So there's some really cool things out there that Stryker does. Really been proud to wear the badge for 20 years. And there's a sports medicine side, right? Oh yeah, sports medicine as well. So uh, it's kind of hard to remember them all when I'm going through it. <laughs> <laughs> we won't we won't test you on it, right? <laughs> you know, I hope some people at Stryker aren't listening if I left them out. So. <laughs> it's like the Academy Awards. You want to yeah. forget someone to thank, right? Uh, yep. it's like, now you know a lot of students have this negative view of sales. Like, I think they always gravitate to this shady used car sales person, right? You've obviously been in sales a long time. How, how do you approach that now when you talk to students? And I think that's an excellent question. Um, there is that kind of, at times, negative connotation about sales. And I think you just have to understand why you're there. And I think with what we get to do in medical device, it's it's very obvious. Like, there's patients on the table. You know, that's that's somebody's you know, mom or dad or child or brother or sister. And so the gravity of what you're doing, 
Um, yes, your title may be sales, but no, you're, you're there to be a consultant to make sure that that case goes as smoothly as, you know, humanly possible. So, um, I think when you start looking at your role from that standpoint of, Hey, what, what good can you accomplish from the role you have outside of, Hey, I'm a sales rep. What's in it for me. And I think if you can look at it through that context of, Hey, like, no, I'm, I'm actually bringing something of value. And I think that's why it's so important when you're trying to define, you know, the role that you want, the company you want to work for is, you know, what are you really working towards? And as a sales rep, yes, you have quotas and, you know, there's expectations and it's competitive. But if you don't have that, you know, that, uh, that underlying foundation of why you do it, then, um, then it's going to be tough. And yeah, you could get into that slippery slope of, you know, that what sales could end up becoming if you're not careful. And so, but that's what's helped me in my career is you go to a company like Stryker where you make a mistake doing what we do and, you know, there's, there's grave consequences. And uh, so no, there's, there's a bigger meaning and a bigger calling to what you're doing. And so honestly, I don't, I don't feel like what we have to, what, with what we do that we address that a whole lot. I think maybe we're in a, maybe in a little bit of a bubble um, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, but I definitely felt it in some of my other sales jobs prior to Stryker. So, yeah, I think it's just hard sometimes for students to get past that. And even some parents I've talked to, what my kid went to college and they're going to sell stuff. I'm like, I go, well, you know, it's, so it's hard sometimes to get across that it's, it's more than just hustling people <laughs> to yes. buy stuff they don't need. Right. And and those jobs are out there. Oh yeah, I they mean, are. They, they are. <laughs> and, and you can make a lot of money at those, uh, but <laughs> And you can, and, but, you know, to each their own and the career paths they choose for sure. But I mean, for me, that's, you know, with mentees or, you know, people I come in contact with, I think, you know, just making sure you're, you're identifying the why as you're interviewing for any job and interviewing with any company. And if you can rally around that and you're talented, you're going to find success, which is cool. You're good. So you mentioned quotas and everything. So what kept you motivated to reach those each time? Well, I mean, you never want to be the only one on the team that doesn't. That doesn't, it, you know? <laughs> And so I, I think keeping up with your peers is one. And I, you know, and I think, you know, I, <clears throat> so we do, uh, Stryker's really big on uh, working with Gallup. I, we're at, my understanding is, is I think we're Gallup's number one customer and we have been for a long time. So we use them for a lot of tools. And uh, one of the tools we use uh, through them is Strengths Finder. And there's 34 strengths. And your 34th strength um, is just the strength you use the least. You know, you don't have a weakness. It's just a strength that you don't use very often. Well, my number one strength is responsibility. And so, like, if you ask me to do something, I want to make sure I do it and do the best of my ability. And so, it's just innate in me. If you ask me, you know, hey, I need you to sell X amount. Well, it's like, all right, I can't let you down. And so, I think that's where mine comes from is the ability to, to be able to look at everybody around me and say, okay, Hey, I'm doing my part. And, uh, I just never want to let anybody down, whether that's a customer and, or my boss. And I guess my, my experience has been too, that if, if you're trying to take care of your customers, um, and never let them down and you look out for them first, the sales will take care of themselves. In contrast to you, my, one of my strongest strengths is woo, winning others over. So, uh, yeah, yep. I was low on responsibility, I think. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember. No, you, you mentioned the mentoring program. So uh, you've been involved with that program. We appreciate that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you got involved with it? Absolutely. Well, um, <clears throat> it was kind of one of those things, I think, just, you know, that, that perfect time in life. I got the email 
you know, from the association and said, Hey, it's time for the, the mentorship program. And I'm sure I'd probably received it before, but timing for whatever reason just didn't seem right. I think maybe coincidentally as well, we relocated back to Oklahoma after being gone for a while. And, um, I saw the email. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I love hiring people. I love leading people. Like, why wouldn't I want to go spend more time with people at the campus I grew up on? And so, um, so I signed up, uh, I think this spring, I actually, I've got that email in my inbox to sign up again for this spring. This spring, I think it'll be my fourth semester in a row to do it. And, um, no, it's, it's just been an incredible experience for me, a lot of learning for me as well. And I think sometimes that's maybe the misnomer about it is that you're going to pour into others and it's a one-way street and the mentoring program is anything but that. Like, you know, I would argue that my time with Alexis for one, like I learned just as much potentially as she did, if not more. So it's, it's a, it's definitely a reciprocal type, you know, experience. So, um, I've loved it. Yeah. He's been a great mentor. <laughs> we'll just hey, stop it there. <laughs> and on our student side, like whenever you try to go look for a mentor and everything, it asks the questions like, oh, where in the US are you trying to go after graduation? It's like location wise. Um, another one is like what industry are you? So I was interested in sales. So then our mentoring program connected me with him and then Stryker, and they're very good at medical sales, obviously. And then you select your hobbies and passions of like, I like working out, I like being outside and everything. So then they connect you with someone that has those passions as well. So you have some sort of like baseline of understanding and like commonalities, I guess. And then, like he said, it's up to the student though, however, to keep meeting every week. And like, I think we chose biweekly, right? We chose like on Friday mornings, 8 a.m., be there. And so set up Zoom calls each week, kept in communication, everything. And I think that's key in the mentoring program for students to realize like, it's not just up to quote the adult, it's up to the student as well to make sure you stick with that relationship and that connection that you have, because they're also taking the time to meet with you outside of their eight to five job and everything. So that's what I've liked about the mentoring program. It kept me accountable. Yeah. And if it's appropriate, I'll, I'll, um, I'll kind of piggyback on what you're saying there. And, you know, we have you know, official mentoring programs at Stryker as well. And the expectations we try to set out of the gate, um, and it's the same expectation I try to set um, with the OSU mentoring program. And I think it's the communication I've even seen within the program that the, the relationship, you know, should start as the responsibility of the mentee. You know, the mentee needs to make sure that they're initiating and leading um, initially on getting that relationship going and try to maximize that time. And as Alexis and I, you know, we talked about it. Um, communication is such a big part of the relationship and our communication, it just, it gelled in right away. And we set that expectation that, you know, it's, it's kind of her job initially to kind of get this thing rolling. But when I see that she's invested in it, I'm just going to want to invest more in her and I'm going to follow her lead. And it's ironic, but as the mentee, it's actually your opportunity to lead. And when you see somebody take that opportunity as a mentor, it just makes you want to invest more and more time in them. And our communication up front, those were the expectations. And I think our relationship has flourished and continued beyond when the mentorship 
um, alignment period actually expired, you know, clearly we've stayed in touch. And so, and I think we just had that baseline understanding going in and it's just blossomed from there. Yeah. It's one reason we don't require mentors for students because we don't want students who aren't vested or uh, don't want to spend the time. We don't obviously don't want to waste your time uh, on someone who doesn't care. Uh, so we have one of these be more organic, but I think you're right. Most people I've talked to if the mint T takes some initiative, it usually will work pretty well. Yeah, that's, that's my experience. And it's my experience too. And I mean, you have 30 year olds, you know, in Stryker and I'm sure in other organizations that are the mentee. And if they don't take the initiative, you know, and it's understandable, we all have different priorities in different times of our life. And I've said this to every mentee I've ever mentored, especially the three that I've mentored here at OSU. Um, when I was 20, 21, 22, like, I'm not sure I would have understood as a mentee how to truly take advantage of that opportunity. And to your point, it's really hard on a mentor to commit their time and to commit emotionally to it if the mentee's not. And so it's not always the right time, but for mentees that are ready and they're committed to it, they're going to find mentors that just are like, oh, that's incredible. I wish, and like with Alexis, I was like, ah, I wish I was like her when I was in college. <laughs> Thank and you. Like, Where would I be now <laughs> if I actually sat there and said, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, stop being this young 21 year old punk and realize, hey, like, no, go learn from somebody. <laughs> and so, um, but no, it's been really fun. Yeah, I, w I was hesitant when we started the program because OSU has tried several over the years and they've all failed because the mentee had no interest. You know, I made some initial things and then never. And I swore I'd never be part of another one. So it's been a nice surprise to see. I think this one work well because of the structure and I think keeping it voluntary, uh, I think, has been critical to so you have some skin in the game as a mentee. Um, so hopefully if you do want to do it, you'll have a little more commitment to it. You know what's going in, like the expectations going in and everything. You know, I think if you don't mind, one thing I think I would add for any student out there that's considering doing the mentee program, like don't, I think it's potentially like I have mentors. And so, and I think at times you get a little intimidated to say, Hey, like, I'm going to go talk to somebody that potentially knows a lot more than I know. And sometimes that can be intimidating. Um, but you know, you can't, you can't let that intimidation stop you from progress and the progress can honestly just be a very small step. And so number one, sign up for the program and number two, set that intention out there and schedule that first meeting and then schedule a second meeting with just a single goal. Hey, for the second meeting, could we do X? Could I ask you about this at the next meeting? Alexis was great at that saying, Hey, for this next meeting that we've already scheduled, we've already committed on our calendars. I'll see you next Friday at eight o'clock. Could I talk about X, Y, and Z? Sure. Okay, cool. Now we know what we're talking about. Not There's not going to be this awkward silence when you get on the phone. Um, and we were actually doing Zoom calls and it's just not going to be awkward because no, we came there with a purpose. And then what would unfold is, yeah, we would actually talk about topics for about 20 to 30 minutes, but then no, like you can talk about bigger concepts as well. And I mean, it's just, now, I, I think it becomes more meaningful. You start connecting. And I mean, to me, that's, that's, that's the business world as well, especially on the sales side. Like, you know, you can connect superficially, but that only lasts so long. If you're truly connecting with people and going deep, those are relationships and connections that you can do some really special things. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm glad it's worked out well. I mean, I, and one thing you mentioned that we find too is that even when the formal 
uh, mentor-mentee relationship ends, oftentimes, if it's been a good match, they'll continue. And I've talked to mentors, even after the student graduates, if they move to where that mentor, they'll still meet for lunch once a month. And, you know, so it's been nice to see those relationships really blossom and continue uh, well past graduation. I've talked to mentors who, you know, two, three years after graduation, they still are in contact with their mentee. Uh, so yeah, that's great to see it when it works that way. And we've had a few duds, so we'll for the time <laughs> yeah. too. But hey, we'll, can't we'll, focus we'll, on those. That's right. We won't worry about those. <laughs> but yeah, did you have any questions for him at all? Well, of course. I think I think we've addressed. I mean, why waste a great opportunity? You know, <laughs> to, get, to get to sit with the dean. Of course, you can ask a question. Um, you know, I think we've kind of hit on it a little bit, but you know, I like I said, I I intend on um, continuing in the mentorship program. Um, I think you've hit on a couple things, but maybe just to kind of reiterate, you know, for any perspective like mentors, like from your seat, like what are you really looking for? You know, what are maybe some some broad goals that you would have for for mentors that are in the program? Yeah, I think that one, I think what you've talked about is that commitment back to the student. You know, once you see someone willing to make an investment that you reciprocate. Uh, and, you know, a lot of our we still have a lot of first gen college students, I think, you know, over about 20 percent. Uh, so they don't have a professional role model. And so sometimes it's just rudimentary things about, you know, what do you do at business lunches? How do you do it? You know, uh, that professional expertise, you really can help, you know, someone avoid, you know, I grew up on a farm and I can't tell you the number of faux pas I made, you know, early on because I, you know, we'd never, we didn't have those relationships. And I would have, just like what you said, I would have benefited so much just having someone just kind of, hey, when you do this, be aware of this, right? And so that's really for mentors is really be willing to commit a little time and investment if, you see that that uh, mentee is receptive to it. Um, You know, and, you know, the other thing too is, you know, don't uh, be bashful calling people out. You know, if someone needs a smack upside the head, not literally, of course, (laughs) Uh, you know, I think so the best mentors I had, you know, said, you know, that's a dumb thing you're doing. You need to stop. I go, oh, I I didn't know that. So, I mean, you know, not to be too bashful. If you see someone heading down a path that may not be the best for them, you know, know, love and kindness is stopping people from doing stupid things. So, you know. Uh, I think what's really interesting to hear you say that. So Alexis and I caught up for coffee for about an hour before this, and we were just talking about the world and life. And we were started talking about situational awareness. Like you're talking about, Hey, at a business launch, you know, Hey, maybe some things to watch out for. Um, and then also, you know, we need people in our lives that are willing to give us critical feedback. And, you know, like you, you are the sum of the five people closest to you. And if they're all yes, men and yes, women, then um, you're probably not growing. And so I love that you call that out there too. And that's what, I mean, and honestly, like I, I've had mentees call me out. I've had people that report to me, call me out and not just mentors or people I report to. And it should be reciprocal every, every single way. You should be open to feedback. And, uh, and so it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, you make a good point. You know, our, our our motto is power personal, you know, and we do try to live it. And people have called me on it, say, hey, how is what you're doing evidence of power personal? I go, no, you're right. It's yeah. probably not. So, yeah, I mean, it, having those things being called out on does keep you kind of focused on where you need to go. 100% agree. 
Well, I appreciate you answering a couple of my questions. <laughs> hey, so. that's, what I, that's what I get paid for. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, Nate, it's been great having you with us. I've greatly appreciated being here. It, like I said, I it was sincere and genuine earlier. It's an honor to be back up here. And uh, thank you for having me. Greatly appreciative. Take us on out, Alexis. Nate, I'm so glad I got to finally meet you in person. You did great on the podcast. <laughs> so proud. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I can't wait for you guys to come back. OSU, hopefully your family comes next time. Your kids and wife and everything. But yeah. Sounds wonderful. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time on The Buzz on Business.